Welcome to the Eat Scripture Podcast. This is Eric and Gina Robinson. We are going through a series on the Psalms. And um, we're this morning we're going to cover Psalm 9 and 10. Mm-hmm. It's usually, they go together. Oh um, yeah, you just don't notice it when right. you're reading them in your English Bible. Right, you'll only know that if you read Hebrew. Right. <laughs> yep, it's true. They did, yeah. They were, the way they're using their Hebrew letters really tells us clearly that these two go together. But then they have some significant differences, too. I mean, it's not just as easy to see it, um, even when translated as, as it might be otherwise. So we'll talk about why the differences and stuff, but I think this will be a really fun thing to go through. beautiful artistry. Yeah. By really the psalmist. So um, anyway, we'll get started. But first, I just want to thank you all for listening. Thank you for um, sharing our podcast and sticking with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you would like to know more about our ministry, you can go to eatscripture.com. Mm-hmm. And if there's not an answer to what you'd like to know, just shoot us an email. We'd be happy to answer. There's oh, a yeah. donate page there if you'd like to uh, partner with us in our efforts. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's all. Let's get started. Awesome. Let's do. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit, I think, at first here, uh, just um, kind of set the stage for what we're seeing and why, and there are some uh, various details I think that we need to look at, and so we'll dig in just just as an overview first. Okay. I am really excited about this psalm because, and again, I'll say these psalms. I've got to train myself here and watch out for what I'm saying. I guess. These psalms are known to go together now. It's it's commonly known. The question is exactly how they wind up like this. Why we have this one seeming, kind of seeming one psalm broken up into two psalms, 9 and 10. Now, I do think that originally they were probably, and it's hard to say for sure, because of the way they're written, it was probably one psalm. But it could have easily been two psalms written to go together. Right. And I think that's a good possibility, too. So I, I really have a hard time coming down on this. Mm-hmm. Because either way, what we're faced with is the question of why two? And why, why if it was written as two, then how can we be sure they went together as one? Because right. well, they're really different. Because they are so different sounding, exactly. They're very different sounding. We told y'all before we started that the Psalms can basically be broken down into two major categories, kind of going with the Bible project on this, and which I think is a great way to look at it, that you've got Psalms of praise and Psalms of lament. Well, actually, Psalm 9 sounds very much like a Psalm of praise, and he uses words about praising God all the way through it. Sounds very much like he's talking about, hey, give your hearts up to God. He does these great things for us. He's done these great things already in the past. And and they're lifting up praises to him and exalting him. Even though then Psalm 10 keeps some basic feel of Psalm 9, it really turns into a lament, it sounds like. And even the way he's talking to God is more a cry for help, has as much to do with a cry for help as it would sound like praise. And so we have, so we've really turned into this seeming psalm of lament. And so they do sound like two psalms. And yet, then the way the, you know, the major thing we know that 
connects these two is that they are form one big acrostic. And if you don't know what that is, right? You want to just would that? be like a poem that we might use that we might like do the first line starting with A, and then the next section start with the letter B, and then the next section start with the letter C. Yes. And so that it. And we go through very, our whole alphabet, baby, and probably right. Um, and you could do it with you could do it with words or something too. Yes. You could use words. Like to do if it. you put your name and write it. Uh, yeah. In a vertical way or, and then yep. write something beside each letter mm-hmm. you know how we do that kind of thing mm-hmm. that's an acrostic yeah that's an acrostic that's and right. so this whole psalm 9 and 10 form an acrostic yeah and generally speaking not <laughs> and we don't a see it tricky. we don't know hebrew yeah exactly if we knew hebrew we could see this so much more clearly it's a little tricky, but like a, probably most, I'm not sure whether to say most, a lot of um, translations are going to be broken into the basic places where the new letter starts. But even in the ESV, which we're using, you and I, which does a pretty good job of it, we still have uh, a few places in here that you would call glitches where it's not a new it's not a new strophe, and and yet he's used the next letter of the alphabet, um, mm-hmm. or or he hasn't used the next letter of the alphabet when it seems like it might be a new thought. And we'll we'll take a look um, as we go through. So it's not it's not a very he doesn't have a strict definition of two lines per letter or four lines per letter. That's not what he's doing, but that he definitely starts with different letters of the alphabet as he reaches different thoughts. The next letter of the alphabet. Um, for the most part, extremely obvious. So obvious that any scholar of Psalms is like, yes, that's a clear acrostic. It's right. just, but he's got, pro- there's problems too. Then there's issues. Why did he do what he did um, here or there? And that's what we're kind of looking at. So as we walk through this as an acrostic, now, wow, I'm trying to figure out exactly where to start here. One thing that we're, like we'd already talked about, which we've already already alluded to and and spoken of this breaking into two here how can what do we do with that even in the septuagint they're put into one even in the septuagint translation which is a greek an ancient which greek translation which you can see why they would be put in the because one. it picks up with the acrostic mm-hmm. no doubt in chapter 10 yes. that it started with in chapter 9 yes so you can see why they would think oh these are supposed to go together yeah now I would say, though, that one of the things that we have to reckon with, if we're going to do that, I mean, one of the major things we have to reckon with is something we've already talked about when we introduced Psalms, which is the books themselves, the number of, of Psalms in each book. Well, we'd already told y'all there's 39 Psalms in book one, if you exclude Psalms one and two, which are obvious introductory Psalms to the whole of the Psalter, right. to the entire Psalter. So we take those out of our book one, so and then we have exactly 39 Psalms in there. Well, that matches the exact number of Psalms in the last book of Psalms 39 which again we have to remove the last five because they're clear concluding psalms they go together as a package and you can once you take those off then you have exactly 39 again which i think there's no question the compilers knew this is what they were doing right because if we put these together it wouldn't be this perfect Mm -hmm. match 
Exactly. What you're That's exactly what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So we have this match on either end, which goes with just basic chiastic format, even which is used throughout the Bible. I mean, uh, and and so we have 39 on either side, which again, like we said before, even goes with the fact that the name Yahweh is used more often in those two books than any of right. the others. And they knew what they were doing. They were very, very careful, knew exactly what they were doing and why. They were not playing fast and loose with that. This was super important. This was highly, you know, uh, just took all your energy and your best minds were on it. And you knew what you were doing. So the idea that they would put a psalm in here that they didn't know whether it was maybe one, maybe two, you know. And, and then uh, the earliest, the earliest compilers knew exactly they what they were doing very careful. and would have been very careful. I, I can see why they would separate them too though. Yes, you because can. They're kind of like, they go together, but they're two separate. Well, they, and that's what I'm saying. They are separate. They were obviously the, the original compilers knew they should be, right. or at least felt they should be treated separately enough to call them two Psalms, Right. but stick them right next to each other because they're an obvious single acrostic, right. which makes you wonder, this is where what we had already alluded to this is what made me start wondering okay maybe that original author wrote two poems that he knew sounded different enough to be two and yet he was so creative that he really tied them as one by an acrostic so that you had to recognize that too almost as if to say hey the world there's two there's two things going on in the world yeah yeah to this life yeah um, I, I kind of tend to think that because I think somebody who writes these kinds of, this kind of poetry, mm-hmm. it's so beautiful, but it's telling a story even by how it's written. Yes, by how exactly. And that is amazing to mm-hmm. me. That, But poets do that kind of thing. Right, poets do. They paint exactly. a picture with even the way the words are put together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've talked about several different things that are like that mm-hmm. um, but I appreciate that oh, yeah. so I can appreciate that the psalmist would have done such a thing mm-hmm. would have done this so that you see that it's all one life mm-hmm. but there's these two opposing things in a life yeah. that are happening yeah and in this case those two opposing things are that in one way the world is take complete Psalm 9, the world, but especially the needy and the poor and those who are afflicted in the world are always taken care of by Yahweh. He's always there for them. Then he continues his acrostic in Psalm 10, though, and we get a very long section of that psalm that talks about how the, the greedy and the prideful are just running roughshod over the poor at will, it seems like. And then the parts of that psalm that are addressed directly to God are calling on him to please do something about it. So where Psalm 9 really kind of stressed, hey, God is always there, helping, being, lifting up, doing the good things. We should praise him, praise him, praise him. Then Psalm 10, but there is this other side to things where it just looks like everything has, has fallen apart. And all we have are greedy, evil people doing what they want in the world and and. Using the needy as their footstool all the time. I think it's so relatable because I think we all feel this way sometimes. Yes. We yeah. see how God is taking care of, you know, the least of these. Mm-hmm. 
but then we see how, and we know that to be a fact. Yes. And yet, with our eyes, we see all the injustice mm-hmm. and um, yeah. the social injustice that's a huge problem in our world. Yeah. And yeah. we want to call on God to, you know, do something about it. That's right. So I totally so get that. Very relevant just, in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So Feels I appreciate much. that the psalmist is uh, doing this in such a creative way. Me too. That's what you want. Finally, you just have to wind up looking at it and go, okay, this is amazing. Uh, an amazing writing, the way he's put this together. And and I think the original compilers recognize that. And we're just like, look, this is, this is from God. This is inspired work. Um, and these things need to be seen together. There are contrasts in the world. So they're broken into two Psalms. So we can see it feels so disjointed. Everything feels disjointed. Because in one way you look at the world and you go, oh, God is everywhere just helping people all the time. How wonderful he is. And another, on another day you can look at the world and say, why is everything completely uh, it's just uh, wrong. <laughs> under, yeah. yeah, under the control of people who don't care. I mean, it's like God isn't here. Where is he? Please help us, God. Please help people uh, who are need. I find you. it amazing that I can go from one of those to the other in a span of, you know, thirty minutes. Minutes, yeah, minutes. I don't think about it, but I know I do. Right. That I yeah. can be so praising God in my prayer time that morning and I walk out the door and I see things happening and I can be so hit by, where are you, God? Look at what's happening. Yeah. So, Uh, let's, I guess let's go ahead and read through Psalm 9, but then there are some things that we're going to note while we're talking, just discussing about this one Psalm first um, that I think you'll find interesting because now there's going to be a couple of little, particularly one, piece in our acrostic that you're going to want to know about that we'll spend a little time on and then we'll look at some of the words in here too. So. Okay. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the city of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction for those who hate me. O you who lift up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they hid. Their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known, 
He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Mm. Man, it's a really great psalm um, just on its own. So if it didn't have a second part. Now, again, the reason we know it has a second part is because it's one long acrostic with the next psalm. This psalm stops halfway through the Hebrew alphabet. So we basically have 11 letters represented here in Psalm 9. The first 11 of 22 Hebrew letters are used to mm-hmm. write out this psalm. Uh, also, right here. Psalm 10 doesn't have a title, so that kind of man, that's a huge piece. Thought. Yeah, yeah, that they great point. That superscription, as we call it, um, that uh, many that ancient manuscripts will, uh, you know, it seems like it's almost treated like a verse, so it does get treated like a verse in certain. In certain English translations in the past, certainly in the Septuagint, they treated it like a verse. Um, So you have English translations that do the same thing. So when we get to um, 9, Psalm 9, right at the beginning, we have that, To the choir master, according to Muth Laban, a psalm of David. We don't know what Muth Laban is, so don't, you know, I I have no (laughs) idea. It's probably a musical term, most think, but we can't even be certain of that, but we're guessing. Uh, But Psalm of David. Now, 10, like you just said, doesn't have one of those. 10 doesn't have a superscription. It's one of only two Psalms in book one. Again, we've already said this before in our previous podcast, but Psalm 1 and 2 don't have superscriptions. And so, but they're, but we know they're introductory songs, right. so that makes sense to us. We're like, okay, they were part of book one. But in book one, out of these 39 psalms, there's only two that don't have superscriptions. And one of them is Psalm 10. And that's because it's written, we believe, by a single author with a single overall connecting, right. you know, uh, way of, of writing so that's why it's natural it would be normal oh of course we don't they would have felt like yes very much they know this how this continuation. works continuation yeah so so they wouldn't have used a superscription okay that makes a lot of sense and so when we do start now when we do go back to chapter 9 here like we're reading chapter 9 we talked about how we have the first 11 letters of the Hebrew alphabet used here to structure this particular psalm the thing that gets in our way is that we're actually missing a letter we're missing the letter dalit which would be the mm-hmm. fourth letter in the hebrew alphabet and it's so it's very noticeably absent right. as you're reading through the psalm and you start seeing this oh aleph bath gimel so you're just reading through the oh look Waiting how he's the put dalit. these together yeah you're, you're ready to see the dalit and then there's no dalit now, Dalit was a letter that in Hebrew, it just looks like, you know, I don't know how to, how to describe it, but it looks like the corner, one corner of the square, mm-hmm. one corner of the square. So it would be, if you're looking at a square, it would be the top right corner is the one that you have. The two, the two lines that come off of that top right corner are going one horizontally and the other one vertically in the square. 
half. So you got kind of half of the square, but you've really only got one quarter of it. Correct. And so that's what the dalit kind of looks like. And oftentimes, and we know this from Hebrew letters, it was very easy to to put together a Hebrew letter with a word picture. Right. You can do it with because all, that's how all they started. Very, exactly, because that's how they started out. They were like little word pictures. Exactly right. So it's no wonder uh, that the letter Beit, which is the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet, it sounds just like the word for house, right. Beit. And so now that we're thinking about that, we look at the letter and oh, it's like a little floor and a little wall and a little roof. That's what it looks like. It looks like a house, even the letter itself. And so it's pronounced like a house. It looks like a house. It became the symbol of a house. Right. So as you're reading along, you can see, oh, okay, I get it. Um, and so all the letters have like word associate oh, pictures associated with what they look like. So Dalit looks like in a weird sort of way. You kind of gotta, you know, make your mind think abstractly. But it looks like a person who's real bent over. Like okay. a person who would be standing up straight, except that they're real now they're real bent right. over, and that got associated with someone who was very poor and needy and downtrodden. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was what the word picture was. Even so much so that the word in Hebrew "dal," mm -hmm. the word "dal" means poor okay. or a pauper. That's wow. actually what the word means. So. That word gets used many times in the Psalms. It gets used in Psalm, but just for a few examples, it gets used in Psalm 72, 13. It gets used in Psalm 113, 7. It gets used in Proverbs 10, 15. In Proverbs 14, 31. It gets used other places as well. For needy or poor, a poor person or needy people, that, that's how that word is used. And it's just all. So it sounds like Dalit. I mean, Dalit, Dal, you can see where, I mean, this is a course, the root is the same. Um, and so when I see that, even when I see the letter, I know what it's related to as a good yes. Jewish reader. I know what it's related to, but it's notably missing. It's notably missing. This is strange to me. Why would the writer take so much, make so much effort to do an acrostic and yet then leave out a letter? Mm -hmm. And then, really, a letter that represents what he's actually kind of talking about. Oh, it goes with exactly yeah. what he's talking about. The interesting thing is, like I told you just now, the word doll, which means needy, is not used in. They use other words for needy, for needy. and for oh. poor in this and afflicted. But he doesn't use doll. So, so could it have something to do with this verse 18? For the needy shall not always be forgotten. I absolutely. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. So... Man. There's a way in which they're forgotten. Yes. He's trying to. He's alluding say to the that. fact that they may seem forgotten, but don't worry, they're not going to be forever. But you may you may look out and go, oh, nobody's remembering the needy. Nobody. So he even <laughs> does this little play where he's like he's forgetting to put the dollar in. But then by the end of the psalm, like you said, by verse 18, he's wanting to know, wanting his readers to know, hey, it won't always be that way. I love that. Oh, yeah. it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. So even when we get down to places like uh, verse 19, let's look at 
verse 11 and 12, verse 11 and 12 of chapter 9. Sing praises to the Lord who sits on throne on Zion. Tell among his people his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. Mindful of who? Well, the oppressed, verse 9. The oppressed, those who are in trouble. Um, he, he remembers. He does not the cry of the that's right. He doesn't forget. He doesn't forget the cry of the afflicted. Oh, wow. That's big. That's big. He's wanting his readers to know, even though it may look like this, our Lord, he never forgets. He always knows. He's always there for them. And then he does this personal, you know, and and, and we watch so much of this song. He's talking about giving thanks to the Lord and exulting in you, verse 2. Exulting in the Lord. This psalm is so much written, largely written from this second person where he's talking directly to God. You know, well, uh, as we read through it, I mean, we see it over and over again. Verse four, for you maintained my just cause. You said, uh, you, you have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. He's speaking in second person directly to God. Right. You see that all right. the way through this psalm. And we're going to have a, we're going to have a very interesting, he's going to continue that right in the first verse of chapter 10 when we get there, Psalm 10, but then immediately it's going to make a shift, which we'll talk about next time. Which again, maybe that connects them too. I, I think without question, that's a connecting point. You, you see another, and that's why the shift that we're going to see later seems so stark, mm -hmm. uh, what we're going to see when we get to the next Psalm. And so it has yes does it feel like this one yes but does it not also not feel like this in a way definitely yeah. um it's got a huge contrast so as we're walking but sticking with this song right now we're walking through it and we're watching this very very much he has a relationship with god he's talking to god he's expressing his praises to the lord he's also when he gets to verse 11 and 12 or let's see verse 13 and 14 verse 13 and 14 be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those yes. who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises. Yes. Um, he He's undergoing some kind of trial right now, too. Right. But he's very trustful, trusting in the Lord. He's seen the Lord do, do great things. It feels and, like um, this is a little hint of resurrection, too. Yes, At least does. resurrection of spirit. It does. Yep. That I, I may and, look dead, but... You're going yeah. to lift me up from this. And with the typological connection that you and I are always looking for, that mm -hmm. sounds perfectly appropriate. Yes. And here's one who has all faith in God because he's seen God work so powerfully in the past on behalf yes. of his people. And now he's now he's the one who is feeling the pressure and he's just lifting up his, his prayers to God. Hey, remember me too. Yes. You know, um, and so that that's a wonderful, you know, you can see the, that you get to see the contrast of the gates yes. in verse 13 and 14. And I don't know if you're going to bring that out, but that contrast okay. is beautiful. Oh, you lift me up from the gates of death. So those are gates, gates of death. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be near those gates, but he lifts him up from those that I may recount all your praises that in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. Oh, those are the gates where yes. I want to be. I want to be. That's in those where gates. justice is going to be meted out. Yes. And, um, yep. There are two kinds of gates you can find yourself in. One is the gates of death and the other is the gates of the daughter of Zion. Yep. There are two places for judgment to take place. One will be a really good place to be to find yourself. The gates of the daughter of Zion and the other will be a place you definitely do not want to yeah. be. Well, it won't be a good place if you're one of the evil ones. Right. Uh, That's right. The nations 
I, I like this that it's talking about the nations have sunk in the pit that they made. Yes. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. So they're mm. laying traps for and, yeah. the, the needy. God's people. God's yeah. people. And they're going to actually be trapped by their own uh, yes. traps. And Yes. Verse, the last, last part of verse 16. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Yes. Yeah. They get, they're getting trapped by their own traps, which again, typological. Because in that first part of 16, the Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment, talking about in the past. So the Lord is known Mm -hmm. for his justice. Yeah. And he will do it. We can trust him to do that. And so then we get to 17, and it's that kind of a juxtaposition to 13, and Mm -hmm. he's lifting him up from the gates of death Mm -hmm. but the wicked shall return to Sheol yes all the nations that forget God right they're not going to be lifted up from the gates of death yes I think that that right there one writer pointed out how um, verse 17 that you just read is you go to chapter 6 Psalm 6 verse 5 and you'll see that Sheol is a place where you can't remember God Mm. and so the so the uh, punishment fits the crime perfectly. The wicked shall return to Sheol all the nations that forget God. Oh, you forget God? Well, then you're going to the place where there's ultimate forgetting. Yeah. You'll never, uh-huh. you won't That's remember so or be remembered. Yes. Um, and But then the very next line, verse 18, for the needy shall not always be forgotten. So they forget God. Guess what? God never forgets the needy. Uh, he's always there for them. So, so great. Again, back life. to the dollar. Yep, back to the Dalit. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Again, he's not using the word Dal here, but by not using it, he's pointing, he's using that as a technique to point out what it seems like is happening in the world, that the needy are being forgotten. But God won't, God won't forget them. He will always be there for them. Okay, so this very much by the time we're at the end sounds like a praise. He is crying out to God to remember and to be, you know, let not man prevail. And, uh, and do your work, the work that we always know you do, which is to come to, to our aid, uh, for the, come to the aid of those in need. And But it still sounds like a praise overall. Ch- chapter 9, we would well, call it's a praise. still very song. much a trusting that God is going to do this. That's right. Yeah. He will. Yeah. But we've only used half our alphabet. So now what do we do? Oh, is this, I mean, did he mean to only use half the alphabet? Well, we're about to see what he's going to do. Uh, when he gets into the next song, we'll have to say that until next time. So, so. Part two. Part two's coming. <laughs> part two's coming. Get ready. Uh, we're going to have well, fun next awesome. time. Yeah. I do love Kinda it. wrap it up. Really glad that we chose these. So we will have fun going through this last one, number 10, the next time, the second part. Um, join us for that. And we are glad that you joined us for this. Thank you so much for the time you give us. We hope you're having a terrific day, and we will look forward to talking to you again very soon. God bless.